This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 34. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Today's guest is Sean Cooper. Now, there's a good chance that you've already heard of Sean, whether it's on the radio, on TV, or on the internet, as Sean is basically the guy that bought his first house when he was just 27 and paid off his mortgage at 30. So basically, in three years, he paid off his mortgage. Now, as you may know, especially if you're a listener of the podcast, my wife and I actually also paid off our mortgage early at our at uh, age 28 and age 29. And you can basically learn more about that by kind of checking out the past episodes of the show. But what makes Sean's story interesting is that he did it in Toronto, which as we all know, has some of the highest real estate prices in Canada, and he did it under a single income. So that to me is really impressive and commendable. So it was fun to pick Sean's brain about how he did it and the strategies he used and he rec- and that he recommends to save money and get out of debt. Now, a little bit more about Sean. He's basically an in-demand personal finance journalist. He's a money coach, a speaker, and his articles have been featured in publications such as the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, Money Sense, and Tangerine's Forward Thinking blog. Yeah, he also makes regular appearances on national radio and TV shows to discuss personal finance, real estate, and mortgages. He's also the author of his new book, Burn Your Mortgage, which helps anyone from new buyers to experienced homeowners pay down their mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. So you can follow him on Twitter at Sean Cooper Wright, and you can request his services over on his site on seancooperwriter.com, all right? And just to make things convenient for you, I'll have the link to Sean's book and his site in the show notes over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 34, so just the number 34. Now, another big reason why you should go to the show notes this time is that we have another giveaway. So you can actually enter for free for a chance to win one of the signed copies of Sean's book. So there's no strings attached, just go Go to the show notes at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 34. So just the number 34. Click on the link to enter the giveaway and you're all set. All right. So go do that now if you can, as obviously the giveaway is only for a limited time. So once again, that link is buildwealthcanada.ca slash 34. So just the number 34. All right. So let's get into the interview with Sean. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, where as a Build Wealth Canada listener, you can pick whatever audiobook you want and actually get it for free. All you have to do is go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. You sign up for the Audible free trial and you'll literally be able to pick whatever audiobook you want for free from the collection of over 180,000 titles. And there's a ton of new releases there too that you probably want to get your hands on. So I'm sure you'll find something that you like. Now, I love audiobooks. I've been listening to them for over 10 years and I remember I used to go crazy when I worked in the Toronto area and I had to deal with all the traffic during my commute every single day. It drove me absolutely nuts. And then I actually started listening to audiobooks to try to deal with all that <laughs> and just prevent myself from going crazy by always being stuck in traffic and it actually made the commute bearable and made the drive not stressful anymore because you, know, you get caught up in the book, you get entertained. And if you're like me, you love nonfiction books. So I used to listen to those a ton on my ride to work. So, you know, they try to learn new things like how to invest, how to build my career, how to build a business, etc. So it was kind of like getting a bonus education on wheels 
while driving. So I absolutely loved it. Now, fast forward a few years, and now that we have a child, I actually find it's actually really hard to find the time to sit down and read a book. You know, plus I'm staring at the screen all the time when I'm working. So the last thing I want is to be staring at another screen in the evening, you know, to read a book. So with audiobooks, I actually still get to read all the books I want, except now they're in audio form. And I still get to learn a ton by reading all the best investing and business books that I can get my paws on. And I can even listen to them while doing chores like, you know, mowing the lawn or washing dishes. So even the most mundane tasks aren't so bad as you're getting entertained and learning a ton at the same time. So I hope you check them out. It also helps support the show. So I appreciate that if you do, and you can get your free audiobook and free trial by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. All right, that's it. Now let's get into the show. All right, Sean, welcome to the show. Hi, Cornell. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Excited to finally have you on. It's been a it's been a long time coming, and uh, also it'll be fun to chat because I know we're kind of the uh, the two guys that paid off our mortgages pretty early. Uh, so it's kind of fun to see sort of how how you did it, how I did it, and then kind of see if there's ways to optimize it, and hopefully uh, other Canadians can learn from it as well. So um, so no, this will be uh, this will be fun. It's it's about time we got together. Sounds great. So yeah, I like to kick things off. Tell us your story and, and basically the steps you took that got you mortgage-free at such a young age. Just assume uh, you know someone listening has never heard of you before. What, what's kind of your story? What, what are the steps you took? Okay, so I knew that I always wanted to own a house growing up. My parents uh, instilled the importance of home ownership in me, and I believe that it's a foundation of uh, having strong finances, owning a house for many people. So um, that was always at the back of my mind. So even before I graduated from university, I had already started saving my down payment. Not only did I graduate debt-free, I also graduated with um, money in the bank that I was saving towards my down payment. So I wanted to own a house uh, pretty quickly after university. I was able to land a job at a pension consulting firm. So I had a decent job and um, started saving as much of my money as possible. Um, I was living at home with my mother at, during that time and paying rent, but um, basically all the other money I was putting towards my down payment. So I started looking at a house, uh, to buy a house at age 24, but the Toronto real estate market was super competitive back then. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't think it could get any worse, but you know, it, it has gotten uh, more competitive these days. So <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. yeah, so I ended up actually looking till age 27 and that's when I finally found my house. It took nearly three years of house hunting because every house that I wanted got like 10 offers and it was really frustrating. And if I, to be honest, if I hadn't have bought my house at age 27, um, the house that I own now, I would have just given up because it was definitely pretty discouraging, almost three years of trying to buy a house and failing every single time. So um, I bought my house at 27 years old. Uh, it was a house in um, the, uh, I guess, suburb areas of Toronto, I paid $425,000. It was a three-bedroom bungalow with a uh, basement apartment. Um, prices back then were a lot more reasonable. This was uh, August 2012, so um, approaching my five-year anniversary of being a homeowner, and I ended up having a down payment of 40%, $170,000, and that left me with a mortgage of $255,000. So um, I was just happy to be a homeowner at that point in time, but then I'm like, you know, I don't want this owner's mortgage 
hanging over my head, like $255,000 for one person <laughs> yeah. is a lot to handle. Like my mother, when she bought her house um, many years ago, like she paid $190,000 for her, her house in right. Toronto. My mortgage was more than the whole house was worth. So. <laughs> Even with a big down payment, right? Exactly. Even yeah. with a 40% down payment, it left me with a massive mortgage. So, you know, I at the back of my mind, I thought, you know, what if interest rates go up? They're super low now. Might as well take advantage and pay down my mortgage as fast as possible. So uh, I was able to pay off my mortgage in a little over three years by age 30. And how did I do that? I did that in several ways, basically by boosting my income and decreasing my expenses. So I boosted my income by working a part-time job, a supermarket. Um, I was a vegetarian, but I still worked in the meat department. So that shows how <laughs> determined I was. I also um, was a personal finance journalist. Um, I was able to double my income by doing that. So essentially, I had pretty much two careers. I was working at the Pension Consulting Firm as well as a personal finance journalist. Um, also became a um, money coach. And on top of that, if I wasn't busy enough, I became a landlord. And I lived in the basement of my house and rented up the upstairs. I wanted to be even more ambitious um, because if I had rented out the basement, I would have only earned $800. But by renting out the upstairs, I doubled that and earned $1,600. And I was just one person living on my own. Why did I need a house with three uh, bedrooms and two bathrooms and I'm like never home at all so it just didn't make any sense at all and I had always lived in you know uh, basements like in other places like with my parents so it wasn't much of an adjustment I mean the basement apartments like over a thousand square feet it's bigger than most condos so it's not right. like living in a dungeon by any means but um, you know I also as I mentioned I also live frugally so I didn't take any extravagant vacations I didn't go on those you know uh, weekend trips to Miami or um, Hawaii or anything like that I just kind of uh, was frugal and did like day trips to Niagara Falls and other areas in Ontario. Um, and I was also careful with my food spending. It definitely helped that I was a vegetarian. So I was able to spend about $100 a month on groceries and I cycled everywhere. I didn't own a vehicle. So by doing all those things uh, together, I was able to pay off my 30-year mortgage in only three years. And to celebrate, I had a big mortgage burning party, which is pretty much how it sounds. I invited all my friends and I had a speech prepared and I took my mortgage papers and lit them on fire and uh, CBC just happened to be there and the story aired on CBC's The National um, and Peter Mansbridge introduced the story and it kind of went um, viral after that. So then, um, you know, the story got covered all around the world from the United Kingdom to Australia, even Dave Ramsey had me on his uh, show to do my debt-free scream. So it definitely um, got a lot of coverage. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Very neat, very neat. Yeah, so a couple of follow-up questions. No, that was really interesting. So when you mentioned it took you three years to buy the, to actually be able to purchase, right? Just because of how yeah. competitive it was. So during that time, or were you, were you basically just, so before you started searching, you obviously made sure you had enough for the down payment. Um, what, what was your kind of, uh, when did you know you hit your, down payment target? Were you going for the 20% so you didn't have to do the CMHC insurance or what was your whole uh, kind of strategy there? Yes, my. I mean, I, I definitely didn't want to have to pay CMHC in, insurance. So I was happy when I hit the 20%, but um, then I just kept saving money. And, um, you know, I would have been happy to buy a house when I was 24 years old, but right. um, I, that just wasn't an option. And the funny thing is I did put offers in on um 
three houses and um, one of the houses I would have gotten, but um, I actually like, it was down to me and another um, buyer and I actually offered more than them, but because I put conditions in my offer, condition of financing and home inspection, and they didn't put any conditions at all, I lost the house and, um, you know, that's mm. something I talk about in my book because I'm not saying people should, you know, never put in conditions, but perhaps you could get pre-approved for a mortgage ahead of time right. or, you know, you could get an inspection ahead of time and that way you could do a clean offer because I was definitely kicking myself when, you know, I finally found my, what I thought my was my dream home and then I lose it because of that stuff. So, you know, mm. hopefully other people can avoid uh, having a situation like that happen to them. Yeah, no, for, for sure. That's pretty rough. And especially now, right, with the way the markets are, uh, how competitive they are. It's, yeah, it's, it's I, th I think those, uh, those tactics are pretty, like, w kind of ways to make your offer more attractive are pretty, it seems pretty critical these days, right? Because it, it does seem like we're getting into a lot of these uh, multiple offer scenarios. At least I know in Kitchener, we are in Toronto, from what I hear is even worse. Uh, and, and by worse, I mean, even more so competitive. So um, I don't know if that's still the case. But uh, is it still pretty crazy over there? Um, it's because of the 16 point plan that the Ontario government brought in, it's kind of cooled the real estate market. Like there was a rush of listings um, when there were rumors that the government was going to bring in cooling measures. Um, and then everything kind of went to a standstill. Like my sister is a real estate agent, so I can kind of check in with her. Um, but, you know, I don't think I don't think there's going to be a massive correction or anything. I just think people are kind of sitting on the sidelines and then the market's just going to pick up again. I mean, you know, I don't think it's sustainable that we're getting like 30, over 30% year-over-year <laughs> yeah. price increases. That's yeah. definitely very worrisome, but I, I think it's probably going to be in the maybe, uh, you know, 10 to 20 range or maybe below 30%. Um, yeah, and sure. it, It's funny, looking back at 2012, I remember when it was 7 or 8% price appreciation, I thought, my goodness, that's crazy. Can it get any worse? And now it's in the double digits, so that right, doesn't look right. so bad. And that's the thing, right? You get these high numbers, plus you're leveraged, right? Because you've got the mortgage, so it's kind of, exactly. you know, you're getting these really, you're getting these... Uh, pretty nuts rates of return and then mm -hmm. it goes up even more than that and it's like what's going on no i know what you mean i had these models built out in excel about our because we have a rental now and you know for all the appreciation and stuff and then just over the last little while like it's it just it's just crazy i mean it totally totally changed the numbers completely because like who knew that things would escalate to this level where the appreciation is so intense it's mm -hmm. uh it, it feels good uh, I, wh whenever i'm around someone that's that's renting i never i don't bring up kind of real estate at all because <laughs> you know it's like i'm like to homeowner my homeowner friends we chat about it and we're just kind of enjoying the way we're writing and then mm -hmm. the uh and then to anyone that's renting we're just i'm just kind of let's Let's not <laughs> let's not anger people, right? Because 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 some people are trying to buy, but it's like they can they're getting priced out of the market, or you know they're they're kind of in your scenario, right? Where they they keep mm -hmm. bidding on houses and they get outbid or for whatever reason, and it's just stressful and annoying, and yeah. So no, for for sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I just kind of want to get a, a glimpse of your kind of process, right? So you said you had twenty percent down before you officially started looking. Is that right? Yes, and then I just kept saving my money because um, I wanted to buy a house, right. but it just wasn't possible because it was so competitive. That's right. And then when you were saving, when you were hunting, right, for those three years, what, where did you keep your money to keep it safe? What, what was your preferred uh, financial vehicle of choice? Um, I was basically keeping it in a high interest savings account. Okay. I didn't want to put it in like mutual funds or index funds because um, if there was some sort of 
stock market crash like 2008. Right. I could I could lose 30% of my down payment. So, you know, it, sure. I could have made more money by doing that, but I didn't want to risk it. So I kept it somewhere safe. Oh, yeah, for sure. That make, I mean, yeah, when you're saying for down payment, that's, yeah, you definitely shouldn't be putting it into uh, into equities, right? If you're looking to buy it kind of in the short mm -hmm. term. Uh, now, now, did you do like a TF, like a high interest savings account through TFSA or did you just have a, as, a, as a regular non-registered account? I, I did the, I took full advantage of the RSP home buyers plan. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, and then I also did a tax-free savings account and okay. maximized that. And then the rest of the money, I just kept it outside, um, like in a non-registered plan in my uh, high interest savings account with like one of the online banks. Gotcha. So, so did you actually, because uh, you wouldn't have maxed out your TFSA and your RRSP, right? When you were saving for your for your mortgage, right? So like what made you decide to keep some in a non-registered? And just for all the listeners that aren't kind of familiar with the term. So when I say non-registered, it basically means not your RRSP and not your TFSA. So basically just like a regular bank checking account is considered non-registered. So basically you're keeping money in there. There's no sort of tax advantage to having money in a non-registered account as opposed to like a TFSA or an RRSP. So um, if you're kind of new to this, that's kind of what we're what we're talking about. So with, uh, but there's uh, contribution limits, right? On TFSAs and RRSPs. So you're saying you still had some money in a non-registered account? Yes, because with the home buyer's plan, you can do up to $25,000. And then with the TFSA, um, I mean, the contribution room is over 40000 now. But right. uh, back then, it wasn't that much. And then I had a $170,000 down payment altogether. Uh, so I couldn't okay. possibly, I mean, I could have put more money in my RSP than 25000 but then I'd get a big tax hit. Right. And uh, I would lose the room forever. So it doesn't make sense to do that. So I just kept it in um, like a regular high interest savings account. Oh, okay. That makes total sense. Yeah. I was going to say like, did you hit your cap? Cause that's kind of the only reason I would see why you would kind of go move to non-registered, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. But, you, but you basically did hit it because of the home buyer's yeah. plan and the TF. And yeah, that's a good point, right? Cause now like time of this recording, it's over like the TFSA is over 50 K. Right. But back then that wasn't the case. So, mm -hmm. uh, so no, that's, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. Uh, and you had an insane amount of down payments, so <laughs> you needed to put it somewhere, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, no, for sure. That makes that makes total sense. Uh, okay, no, that's uh, that's great. And you said CBC was there. Now, did you actually reach out to them, or did, did you just kind of get lucky that they just happened to be there? So, funny story. Um, they actually, a reporter for CBC, uh, Sophia Harris, reached out to me because she was doing a story on super savers and it was going to be like a story with me and a few other people who were good at saving money. She just kind of found my uh, writing online somewhere and heard about like um, maybe on Million Dollar Journey, something like that, um, about some of the financial goals that I set for myself. And then I just kind of uh, told her, oh, I had this goal of like, you know, paying off my mortgage as quickly as possible. I'm trying to pay it off by age 30. And then she's like, well, that's interesting. You know, we were looking at perhaps doing like a video like piece for the story as well. Um, and then when I was kind of telling her more about it, she's like, you know, this sounds like a good enough to be like its own standalone story. So, sure. you know, lo and behold, just because I kind of just briefly mentioned that during our conversation, she turned it into a whole story on its own. And then, um, then they ended up filming the piece. And, and the funny thing is, um, they actually held, CBC actually held the story for about um, a couple months. And 
Um, it was almost getting towards the like November and we were filmed outside with no coats on. So if it aired on the national and it was like snowing outside and no one was wearing coats, then it wouldn't make sense. So she was basically pressuring, like saying, you know, you better, you need to air the story now or else it's not going to make sense anymore. So, you know, they finally aired the story and then it kind of like, you know, went viral after that. I mean, I, I think they, CBC thought it was just going to be, you know, a small story, but, you know, it ended up being one of the most viewed stories in the business section of that year. So I heard about that. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. And it's such a nice, it's a good story too. I mean, for many reasons, right? But it, I guess from a journalistic perspective too, it's, you know, the, the burning, like the actual burning of mortgage papers, it's a pretty, you know, you can really make that dramatic too, right? And because uh, it's it's like, a, you know, like mortgage papers aren't that exciting, right? But burning mortgage mm-hmm. papers, it's, <laughs> it, yeah, it just, lends itself to the visual, you know? A fun fact, I was just going to tear them up, but they're like, you know, that's not good enough. You have to light them on fire for the camera. So Yeah, tearing up isn't nearly as exciting as this flame just, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, that's that. No, that, that's a good story. That's really, really good. Uh, no, so that that's that's great. And yeah, that's funny. Like the, I didn't I didn't realize the whole timing thing with the coats and everything. That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. People would be like, "Oh, this is rigged. It's not even. <laughs> Why are they wearing shorts? It's winter. This is <laughs> this is staged or whatever, right? People mm-hmm. would get their uh, you get the naysayers coming in. So uh, no, that's the that, that's a great story. That's that's perfect. Uh, yeah. So let, let's talk about your book a bit. So kind of tell me about the moment when you realize that you need to write a book. What basically motivated you to write it in the first place? Okay, so as I was talking about, the CDC story kind of went viral, and I enjoyed my 15 minutes of fame, so to speak, but uh, I wanted to kind of, I guess, take advantage of that opportunity. I I didn't just want it to be kind of a flash in the pan, and um, I also wanted to uh, help with financial literacy as well as help millennials and other first-time homebuyers get into the market because um, I read a story recently from the Huffington Post that said, you know, millennials and other uh, home buyers are affected by, like, news headlines when they read them in the newspaper. Like, do you really think it's that encouraging to buy a house when you're reading about how housing is so unaffordable and the average house in Toronto, Vancouver are over a million dollars? I don't think so. I mean, I remember when I was buying a house, like, I would read all these articles about how expensive housing was and all the crazy bidding wars, and I just felt like giving up. I mean, I honestly don't know why I still, like, you know, kept trying to buy a house, but, um, you know, I kind of wanted to, you know, have a positive uh, message about real estate rather than uh, having a message (laughs) that's basically saying, you know, real estate's so darn expensive. So that, that was my main motivator for writing a book. I mean, it was something that was always on my bucket list of things to do, but, um, you know, um, I wanted to basically write a book that um, gave encouragement to people to get in the housing market. And I also wanted to write something that was easy to understand and kind of showed my journey as a homeowner and helped educate people so that they didn't repeat the same mistakes that I made. Because I certainly, you know, made mistakes along the way. And I didn't want to see people make the same mistakes because buying a home is for most people the single largest financial transaction of their life of, of you know your lifetime and these mistakes that you make uh, can cost you hundreds thousands or tens of thousands of dollars so um, you know I'm trying to um, encourage people and um, you know once they decide that buying a house is right for them um, you know help them avoid some of the pitfalls that I may have fallen into gotcha Sounds good. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you, you talk about some of the mistakes you make. What, what were kind of some of the, 
sort of the most substantial mistakes you'd say you made that you learned a lot from and that you would want kind of other Canadians to know about so that they don't repeat the same kind of thing? Okay, well, um, I mentioned earlier that um, I was putting in all these conditions in my offer when I didn't realize that, you know, when you're in multiple offer situations, um, it's not a good idea necessarily to have a ton of conditions. I mean, you can pretty much put in a condition for anything. You can put in a condition for financing, home inspection. You can put a condition in saying, you know, um, I have to sell my house first or else I'm not going to buy your house. You could basically put in anything, but these conditions actually end up costing you money and can make you lose your dream home. So, you know, definitely be careful with all these conditions that you put in because it makes your offer that less attractive. And um, a mistake that um, I didn't make myself, but that I see many people make is that they basically go in and get pre-approved for mortgage and let's say the bank says, oh, you can spend up to $800,000 on a house. Well, the key is up to $800,000. You don't have to spend $800,000, but people kind of see that number and then they go and spend 800000 or they spend even more, maybe right. eight ten or eight fifteen, and then they're stretched totally financially and their house basically seems like a prison with their mortgage as a life sentence and they're house rich but cash poor they can never afford to go on a vacation and um, you know what if mortgage rates go up then um, they might be in risk of defaulting on their mortgage so I definitely recommend that you leave yourself some sort of buffer and if you're approved for a maximum amount like 800,000 maybe you only want to spend 750 or 700,000. Um, you know, take the time to crunch the numbers and see how much your monthly mortgage payments would be and how much all the other carrying costs would be, such as utilities, home insurance, and property taxes, and then see if you could really afford that house on a monthly basis. And if you're renting right now, perhaps you could kind of uh, create a mock budget for a house and uh, put that money aside in a savings account for a few months and see if you're able to handle it. And if it's a struggle for you financially and you, you know, don't enjoy skipping going to restaurants and, uh, you know, going on nicer trips, then maybe home ownership is not for you. But at least it's better to know that ahead of time rather than when you're a homeowner and, you know, you realize that you don't like having this extra financial responsibility. That's a that's an amazing uh, tip. I, I couldn't agree more. That's such a good uh, yeah. Like if I was to think kind of you know the sort of eighty twenty rule, what what's kind of the you know the, the thing that's going to make the biggest impact? I, I I can't think of a better one than what you just said. That's a really that, that's a Thank that's you. a that's a really great point for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, um, and that's and I, I think the thing too, kind of just to add on to that, I mean, if like you use the eight hundred thousand dollar example. The thing too is, you know, if you take a mortgage all that big and let's say now you're really stretched from a cash flow perspective, you've got like, let's say a hundred dollars of, you know, left over at the end of the month after paying for, you know, all, you know, your groceries, your mortgage or everything, you're just kind of living at this, uh, you're basically, you know, living the paycheck, the paycheck at that point, right? Uh, I mean, keep in mind too, you should also be saving for retirement, right? This isn't, you know, and if you're going to have this mortgage for, you know, over the next 30 years and you're already stretched to the point where you have you're not able even to put anything away for your retirement i mean that's that's a pretty significant thing right uh you don't want to just have a house and then no 
and then no investments at all, you know, and then you're in your, you know, you're 55 and you're kind of, oh, I barely have anything saved up for retirement and I'm supposed to retire in 10 years. I mean, that's a pretty big uh, landmine you just stepped on. So uh, that's kind of uh, another thing I think that's that's pretty pretty critical, right? And and then you hear, you know, people talk about, oh, well, you know, the house is kind of my number one sort of investment, but I mean, you're going to need a roof over your head regardless of where you mm-hmm. live. So you can't just count on your primary residence to fund for to be a place to live and to fund your entire retirement, right? You're not renting it out. So, it, it's, so <laughs> it's not like you're getting cash flow from it on a monthly basis. Uh, you still need to buy uh, buy some food. So anyways, I could go on all day about that stuff, mm-hmm. but I, I'm just saying I couldn't agree more. And there's so many, it's, I would say one of the biggest landmines you can step on as a, as someone looking to buy a house. So I'm, <laughs> we're, we couldn't be more in sync when it comes to that uh, kind of perspective. So thanks for, you know, thanks for sharing that. All right, just a quick reminder from our sponsor, Audible, that you can get your one free audiobook download by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. You'll be able to pick from their library of over 180,000 titles. And there are some fantastic audiobooks that I've been a huge fan of for years, such as The 4-Hour Workweek, The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Canada's own Andrew Hallam and his book, The Millionaire Teacher, where he basically talks about how he invested on a teacher's salary to become a millionaire and many many more. So once again, you can get your free audiobook by signing up for the free Audible trial by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. All right, and now back to the show. Speaking of housing prices kind of and where they are and how high they can be right now too, you know, it seems like there's kind of a bit of a bit of a frenzy sort of in the real estate market right now. Do you still think it makes sense for millennials to buy a home as opposed to, for example, renting for a lot less money than what it would cost them to carry a home and then basically investing their excess cash flows in the stock market, for example. Okay, so, um, I mean, I don't mean to kind of, you know, give a wishy-washy answer, but I think it all depends because, you know, you can't say all millennials' financial situations are the same. Right. I think it mainly depends on, um, you know, your job and career situation because um, if you just graduated from college and university and you don't know what you're going to have for breakfast, let alone, you know, what career you're going to have in the next, you know, six months or year's time, like you just started a job and you don't know if you're going to stay at this company for the long term, I don't think rushing out and buying a house makes sense. But, you know, once you find yourself a stable career and um, perhaps you're ready to settle down or even if you're not, um, you know, and your finances, like you have a stable job, you're not working on contract or you're not working precarious employment and you're able to actually save enough money for down payment um, and you're, you know, willing to stay put for at least five years time, um, you know, like let's say, let's say you got a job opportunity to go overseas or you're kind of looking at opportunities to maybe travel around the world and get different opportunities in different continents or countries, then buying a house wouldn't make sense in, in in that instance. But, you know, once you're ready to stay put at least for the next five years or 10 years, then that's when I think that home ownership makes sense. And uh, for millennials buying a house in cities like Toronto or Vancouver, I definitely think that um, it can be intimidating because house prices uh, are going up faster than people can save. And they're at risk of being priced out of the market. So um, I would say in markets like that, um, aim for, um, like I myself had at least a 20% down payment, but in um, cities like Toronto and Vancouver, it's just not realistic. So I would say aim for um, a 10% down payment and at least the CMAC fees 
aren't as high as if you just have a 5% down payment and at least you have some equity because if house prices were to fall like 5% and you only had a 5% down payment, um, including closing costs, you'd actually find yourself underwater. So I think it's good to give yourself a bit of buffer room by having a 10% down payment. Mm -hmm. For sure. No, that's a great tip. Yeah, I know. I, I know we did the twenty percent when we kind of bought our, our first house, and you know, and f future houses as well. And uh, yeah, just kind of like what you did, right? We wanted to avoid the CMHC insurance. And uh, and yeah, no, I, I like your point. I mean, with uh, the whole about not just rushing to buy a house. I know that's kind of always one of my biggest mistakes was we we rushed out and bought a house immediately. My wife and I immediately after university and. It, it was a mistake because a year later we ended up moving back to kind of our hometown. <laughs> so, and you, you, obviously you're not supposed to buy a house if you if you're going to move within a year because uh, mm -hmm. you're going to lose money on because of transaction costs, things like that. Unless real estate prices are skyrocketing, uh, but generally that doesn't happen. So you you really shouldn't depend on that. Uh, but yeah, I know that was a kind of a big. Uh, kind of a big mistake that, that sort of we made. And so, yeah, whenever I kind of talk to other sort of millennials, it's it's that, you know, you want to kind of sample the area first. You want to sample the city. You want to sample the career path before you really commit. Uh, and by commit, I mean, you know, buying a home because then you're kind of stuck there. And yeah, you could sell it, but then you're going to sell it at a loss if, if like you said, if you're moving within five years, uh, I mean, in less than five years, you know, there's a good chance you're going to lose money. Um, so no, that's a great, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a really, really good tip. Um, yeah, because I guess you really don't know. I mean, we you might not like the industry that you're in. You might not like the area you're in. You might not like we were in a GTA and then we're like, oh, we actually like the smaller cities. So we moved, you know what I mean? And you don't really know until you try it. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we're not really having a very much, a very... Um, confrontational conversation here Sean it's like I'm just <laughs> you're like echoing what I believe as well so it's kind of uh, it's it, yeah not, not a lot of uh, not a lot of angry back and forth or anything but that's Guess okay. you're preaching to the <laughs> choir pretty much yeah pretty much pretty much so um, but yeah <laughs> uh, but anyways I'll, yeah so um, no that, that that's great thanks thanks for uh, for sharing that and then are there some creative ways that you recommend Canadians uh, and millennials in particular can get into the real estate market especially Considering that you know, if you are a millennial, chances are you know your income and your savings aren't probably enormous at this point. You know, especially if you're kind of just you know fresh out of university, college, whatever the case may be. You know, how can you how can you get in there? Do you have any sort of creative ways or, or ideas? Yes, definitely. I mean, um, the first option, of course, would be the bank of mom and dad, and a lot of people say that that's actually a major force that's driving the real estate market with this crazy price appreciation because boomers have all this equity in their house and then they're taking out home equity line of credits and giving that money towards their millennial children. So if your parents are in the financial position to help you with your down payment, um, you know, perhaps they won't give you your entire down payment, but, you know, they could perhaps top it up so you could reach the 20% down payment and not pay any CMHC fees, then that would be nice. Um, and, you know, if they're not able to give you any sort of financial help, perhaps they could co-sign on a mortgage for you if you're having trouble qualifying. So that's one creative way to get into the market. Another way is by buying with family or friends. So, for example, um, you might be able to buy a property with a sibling, such as a brother, sister, even an aunt or uncle, um, and by having two incomes together to qualify for the mortgage and having down payment from both people, it makes it that much easier to afford a uh, house in, um, excuse me, 
in um, expensive real estate markets like Toronto and Vancouver. Um, and, you know, buying with friends is kind of a newer trend. Um, and um, I would definitely say make sure that you're buying property with somebody who's reliable and have an agreement drafted with a lawyer because um, somebody will want to sell their share of the of the property eventually and um, you want to have an exit strategy. You don't want it to be um, a surprise and then perhaps um, end the friendship or lead to hurt feelings. So I definitely make sure that you have something professionally drafted by a lawyer. And um, in terms of basically saving a down payment, which is the most difficult part about getting into the real estate market, there are several creative ways. For example, if you have a condo, you could rent out one of the spare bedrooms on Airbnb or rent it out to a roommate. And um, if your parents aren't able to help you financially, perhaps they'll let you move back home and um, perhaps pay some sort of room and board or do some sort of chores around the house uh, so that you don't have to pay market rent and then save as much money as possible. And, um, you know, if you're able to perhaps like uh, save on rent, like let's say you're living in an expensive downtown condo and spending two, $3,000 a month on rent, perhaps you could move to um, a less, um, um, you know, a, a less um, uh, like, I guess, uh, a less, I don't know, flamboyant place um, and kind of move to perhaps like a basement apartment in the suburbs and then you could spend less money on rent and then save that extra cash flow towards a down payment. So those are just some of the creative ways that you can get into the real estate market. And I recently heard that Meridian Credit Union actually had a mortgage specifically designed for people buying properties together with other parties. So um, I think financial institutions are definitely listening to the realities of how it is challenging to buy a house in more expensive markets. So, you know, certainly don't throw in the towel. And um, I go through some of these examples in my book. So definitely check that out. No, those are great. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of actionable tips for sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, speaking of uh, just mortgages in general, can you tell me a little bit more about the internal dialogue that you had in your head, basically with yourself when you were deciding whether you should pay off your mortgage quicker or whether you should be investing that money instead? So this is once you actually purchase the home. Yes. So, um, I mean, people have told me many times, oh, you know, you were foolish to pay down your mortgage so quickly. You should have invested your money and only pay off the minimum of my mortgage. But I paid down my mortgage um, quickly for a few reasons. Um, one of them is that your mortgage offers you a guaranteed rate of return. Unlike the stock market, um, you don't know what rate of return you're going to get. You could get plus 10 rate of return this year, and then you could get minus 20 next year, you really don't know. So I prefer, you know, the guaranteed rate of return of your mortgage, which is whatever your mortgage rate is. And as I alluded to earlier, mortgage rates are near record lows right now. So instead of using that as an opportunity to borrow as much money as you can and get in debt, use it um, to your advantage to pay down the biggest debt of your lifetime, your mortgage, because let's say mortgage rates went up in the future when your mortgage came up for renewal. That means more of your money would go towards interest 
rather than principal. And today, with mortgage rates as low as they are, about 50 cents on the dollar goes towards your principal when you first take out your mortgage. But if we went back 10 years' time, only about 25 cents on the dollar went towards your principal. So mm-hmm. as you can see, you know, if you're super focused, you can pay down your mortgage um, quickly and, you know, definitely take advantage of um, the low rates. And uh, speaking of interest rates, um, if you pay off your mortgage in 25 years, um, you, when, once interest is included, you could end up spending almost double the initial purchase price of your house. But if you pay down quicker, you'll save yourself thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars in interest. So that's uh, another reason. And the last reason, which was the main reason that I decided to pay on my mortgage sooner was financial freedom. Because once you have that mortgage paid off, you no longer have that cash flow going towards your mortgage. And you just have to pay for the upkeep of the house as well as the utilities. And then you can do whatever you want with that cash flow. You can start saving towards um, another property, or you could use that money to save towards retirement, um, decide to take more trips. Um, Basically, you have that financial freedom in order to do what you want with that cash flow going towards your mortgage. So imagine if you had an extra $2,000 a month, I mean, you know, what would you do with that? That That's the great feeling of having your mortgage paid off. You have that extra cash flow to do whatever you please with it. For sure, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, in terms of the financial freedom, I, I totally, I totally see where you're coming from. I know I've, I've interviewed a fair bit of, uh, you know, financial planners, and I, I kind of study this stuff for fun. And sort of the, the most, uh, one of the most recurring consensus that I, that I hear uh, amongst professionals that basically do this for a living is that, yeah, when you are in that sort of retirement phase, um, so you know, you're financially independent, let's say, uh, they, you know, they do recommend that you have your mortgage fully paid off at that point, because then you don't have this cash flow drain every single month. And so that just create, gives you a lot of stability, especially if you're not working anymore, right? You don't have that sort of, you know, income uh, coming in from your regular salary. And so, and you don't, and, then, and you never know what the markets are going to do. You never know what the interest rate's going to do. So it is kind of a key piece of kind of retirement and, and financial freedom. So no, I totally, uh, I know what I know what I know what you mean, and, and I, I totally get the whole because I'm assuming you're looking to be uh, financially free um, as soon as possible. Like that's kind of your next goal, or maybe you're there already. I don't know. Uh, well, I'm kind of. I mean, I'm kind of there already. Um, it depends on your definition of financial freedom, which I guess we'll go into in another question. Sure. But um, basically, I have enough money so that, um, like, basically, I have enough money from my tenants paying um, the rent that that covers more than. Um, the like it covers all the expenses of the house, including utilities, um, home insurance, and property taxes, and actually make a profit from that. So if I wanted to, I could pretty much leave the workforce and sit at home all day and do nothing. But of course, I don't want to do that. I want have other goals that I want to achieve, which you know we'll talk about later. But um, I mean, I am in the position of being financially free, and you know, um, it's, it's definitely a good feeling to have, especially um, when you know, we're living in an economy where you don't know if you'll have a job, um, you know, a year in a year's time, let alone tomorrow. So, you know, it has, it definitely um, is a good feeling knowing that you don't have uh, that responsibility of paying a mortgage to worry about anymore. Mm-hmm. For sure. So you're saying right now, kind of with the rent that you're getting from your tenants, that covers not only all the expenses of the property, but also all your, basically all your shot expenses. So, you know, your groceries, your 
uh, internet, your transportation, like all of that. So you could technically yes. to totally stop working and you'd be you'd be okay. Yes, exactly. That's awesome. Well, congratulations then. That's fantastic. Congrats Thank on reaching a uh, financial independence. So how old are you now, Sean? I can't remember. I'm, uh, you know, getting up there. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not as young as I was when I burned my mortgage <laughs> at age 30. I'm 32 right now. 32. So pushing, pushing on 32 and a half. That's awesome. That's awesome. yeah. So financial independence at 32. Actually, we, uh, I, did, I crunched our numbers recently, and we're we're officially financial independent, uh, financially independent now too. And I'm 32 as well. So we're, we're I guess we're the we're we're new we're new to the club. <laughs> we, so that's uh, that's awesome. It's uh, it's good to know others right. that are kind of in the same. Uh, Sort of in the same boat. So no, that's uh, that's awesome. Well, one kind of thing because uh, you mentioned the interest rate savings, which I've heard kind of mentioned before as an argument towards um, towards paying down the mortgage quicker, right? So it's and then that, let's let's talk about that for a minute because the in, like yes, you do save money on the interest because obviously you've paid off your mortgage quicker, so you you know you're not. Uh, you're not spending that anymore monthly, um, but th that doesn't. But I mean, the kind of I guess counter argument to that is well, if you let's say put that money into you know equities like a you know like a broad market index ETF that kind of a thing, uh, you know you would out you would uh, earn more than what those interest savings are, so you would actually be more positive investing in kind of the markets in that kind of a way. Um, would you agree with that? Disagree? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it all comes down to the individual and their um, what their risk aversion is. Like, right. if you're somebody that um, you know um, it puts all their money in a savings account and is scared to put any of their money in the stock market, which you know there are more people than you would think after 2008. I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of millennials grew up and still have that picture in, in their mind, um, you know, if you'd sleep better at night, not mm -hmm. having a massive mortgage over your head, um, that certainly makes sense. And um, I read a book um, by fellow author Alex Avery, he wrote The Wealthy Renter, and he makes a good point, like when you have this mortgage, um, it makes you perhaps like stay at a job that you may not necessarily right. like, and you kind of feel tied down to the property because you have this onerous mortgage, but once you have that paid off, then you have a lot more freedom. And a point that I make in a book in the book is that you can always stop investing. The sky is not going to fall, but if you stop paying your mortgage, mm. then, you know, the it's going to not only ruin your credit, uh, uh, like history and, and score and all that, um, the bank's going to take away your house pretty quickly. So, you know, I prefer like, you know, paying down your mortgage because it offers you that peace of mind. But for other right. people, you know, it, it might make sense, uh, you know, if they're willing to take on that extra risk and invest, then it might make sense. But for me personally, I just preferred, uh, you know, getting rid of my mortgage. And now that it's, it's, gone i can in, i'm basically investing all the money so i'm kind mm -hmm. of playing catch up right now right right yeah and, and that's kind of exactly what we did is we did the whole like like it's it's interesting yeah, you mentioned 2008 that's kind of what happened to us is well to me at least it's like i said fresh out of university you know to uh, first job 2008 hits you see people panicking losing just obscene amounts of money and then yeah i know that kept me out of the investing in, in equities for for quite a few years that was kind of like one of the bigger drivers where i'm like you know what this you know, I don't feel comfortable with this equity thing uh, <laughs> based on what I've seen. So I'm going to do the guaranteed thing with the mortgage, right? And so that was kind of one of the, I would say like that's what, that was one of the main kind of catalysts for, uh, for, for doing that. And now kind of in retrospect, I sort of, 
uh, like knowing what I know now, I actually would have invested then because, you know, and, and we would have been even wealthier, uh, you know, if I kind of took that route because as you know, you know, things rallied quite nicely, you know, after that time and, uh, you know, but hindsight's twenty twenty, obviously. Um, yeah, so no, it's interesting to hear kind of your uh, uh, kind of a perspective on it because it seems like, yeah, we, we both kind of took that route of, of paying down the mortgage. I just kind of, uh, I just kind of wish I invested it now, but that's just... <laughs> <laughs> but that's like I said, it's hindsight, right? It's uh, mm -hmm. you can't you can't go back to uh, when you're fresh out of university and uh, still kind of trying to wrap your head around all this investment stuff. So you unfortunately don't have a DeLorean to go back in time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, basically, you know, you're debt free. You're you're financially independent now. Um, we talked about kind of your definition of financial independence, and, and I have the same kind of definition. So we're definitely on kind of on the same boat when it comes to that. So now that you're financially independent, how have you decided to structure your investments? What, how do you, how, how are you set up basically from an investment perspective? Okay. So I'm basically playing catch up because like all my net worth is tied up in my house right now and right. I don't have a ton of savings. I mean, I'm only one person. I can't do everything at once. I can't pay off my mortgage, maximize my RSP and my right. TFSA. It's, impossible like I you know I'm not a millionaire or anything but um, you know uh, so basically what I'm doing is what you know as I mentioned in my book step one of financial freedom is a paid off house but if all your net worth is tied up in your house um, unless you um, take on more debt through a home equity line of credit um, then it's hard to access that money or sell your house um, you know you can't really access that money so what I'm doing is I'm used to already putting that cash flow aside towards my mortgage so instead I'm taking that cash flow and I'm splitting it in half and putting half of the money towards my RSP and half of it towards my tax-free savings account because you know many people think oh great I have my mortgage paid off I can just you know spend my money on whatever I want, but unless, you know, you have like a gold-plated defined benefit pension plan at work, you right. need to have some sort of money to retire on because um, you can't just sell one of the bedrooms in your house, you know, <laughs> right, it's not right. other all or nothing like, and imagine paying off your house and then taking on a product like a reverse mortgage and then like watching all your equity go poof vanish like that. I mean, it would definitely be depressing. I don't want sure. to take on a reverse mortgage or take on a home equity line of credit or anything like that. So um, I'm basically saving that money and I'm going to be like, pretty soon I'll be able to maximize my RSP and my tax-free savings account. And then once I do that, I'll just keep maximizing them every single year and saving my money in a non-registered account. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely a good problem to have when you uh, have those accounts, your registered accounts maximized, and you're looking for, you know, extra places to put your money. But yes, that's essentially what I'm doing right now. For sure. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, because well, yeah, once we paid it off, I was like, oh, this is great. You know, we're going to have all this extra money every month. And, and so that lasted like a, a day. And then after that day, I'm like, wait a minute. This means we're behind on saving for our retirement. Because <laughs> it's just, just like, you're right, all the money is in the, is in the house, right? So I was like, oh, crap, I really got to get cracking on this investment thing. Uh, and so that kind of what that's what one of the things that prompted the uh, the podcast actually being created. Uh, because it was like, okay, let's let's learn as much as we possibly can. Because 
because but yeah because now you're going to be pumping a ton of money into investments uh, you know especially if you're like you said you're used to this certain lifestyle of saving so much for your mortgage well now you take those savings and now that the mortgage is done you throw it into your investment so uh no no so that's that's interesting yeah so i was in the exact exact same boat so yeah we've been we've been going pretty hard on the investing for for several years now and it's been it's been going good but yeah i know uh, i know exactly kind of <laughs> i know exactly what you mean um yeah so so right now you're still doing just pure rsp and tfsa you're not doing non-registered uh, yet i assume right you're, you're correct, not maxed correct, yet. because right. I haven't I haven't maximized my RSP and TFSA. But one thing that I would recommend is basically automating your savings because um, you know if you just put whatever extra money is left at the end of the of the month towards your RSP and TFSA, then you know it makes it hard to save. Like uh, you know people when some people when they see this extra money sitting in their bank account, they just go and spend it. So I would definitely recommend treating it like the four savings of paying down a mortgage. So basically set up a set amount of money to come out of your bank account, perhaps when your paycheck comes in every week. So that way the money is taken out right away. And, you know, treating, basically treating savings as another line in your budget um, rather than just waiting for extra, you know, rather than just using whatever money is left over at the end of the month. Um, that's the best way to save, in my opinion, because um, most of the time people, when they have the extra, you know, extra money sitting in their bank account, they're tempted to spend it. And, you know, in today's cashless society where you can swipe your credit card or use your smartphones to make purchases in an instant, it, it's definitely easier than ever to spend. So sure. just, you know, automate those savings so that you have less of a temptation to spend. Definitely. And yeah, the best example I can think of of that is the uh, the one-click shopping uh, with Amazon, right? Where they've kind of mm-hmm. gotten to the point where you, you can literally set it up so that you buy it with just one click, not even confirmation or nothing, right? <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is going to be trouble for some people because it's just, it makes it so easy, right? You don't even think twice. Uh, like, you know, some people will just buy, right? So no, that's, that, that's interesting. Now you mentioned uh, automating it. So how do you currently automate your investments? Like you, I'm guessing you're not doing um, a discount brokerage then, right? You're doing like a, yeah, I, I guess I won't, I won't guess. Tell me what you're doing <laughs> for okay, your well, automation. I- I'm I'm investing in the TDE series um, okay. with both my RSP and tax-free savings account, mm-hmm. and basically have it set up so um, a set dollar amount comes out of my bank account on a um, bi biweekly basis. So basically, um, like twice twice a month, and um, I've set it up so that it happens maybe a day or two after my paycheck gets deposited in it. So I basically made it automatic, and then I figure out, you know, this is how much money I want to um, put in my TFSA and RSP in the entire year, and then I divide it by the number of, like, biweekly periods in the year, and then mm-hmm. that's how I figure out exactly, you know, how much I'm going to put in. So, like I said, I'm already used to having that cash flow go towards the mortgage, so it's not that much of a stretch to have it go towards the RSP and TFSA because I'm already used to saving that money. Gotcha. So, so with TDE series, how far are you? Because I I don't use TDE series. I, I just do a discount brokerage, um, like just buying like straight up ETFs. But um, how uh, how far can TDE series automate it? Will they actually in spread the amount that they take from you or that you you know put in automatically? Will they automatically per- do the purchases for you as well? Uh, yes, yes, they do. But you're responsible for rebalancing your portfolio. Like, okay. let's say you want to have like um, 
30% Canadian equities, 30% U.S. equities, 30% international, 10% bond. Well, sometimes it can get a bit out of whack. So right. um, it's your responsibility to rebalance it. Um, but, you know, they'll you just basically set up the, um, like, pre-authorized purchases um, from, like, to go towards each of the different, um, like, Canadian, U.S., and international equities and the bonds, and then that money's taken out of your bank account automatically. It's pretty easy. Right. So so the way you have it structured is it's kind of like an automatic bill payment in a way, except the yes. bill payment is really just... Uh, you're really investing it. It's not like you're, you know, shopping or whatever. And then, exactly. and you're saying with TD series, you're able to actually set it up on their back end. We'll say, okay, like let's say you put in, I don't know, like a thousand bucks a month or whatever, just to keep the math simple. So you could tell TD uh, E series, okay, take five hundred of that, put in my RSP, put five hundred, put in my TFSA, and then once it's in there, I want thirty it uh, to Canada, thirty to US, thirty international, ten in bonds. Is that what like you're able to do it to that detailed level? Yeah. level? Yes. Very cool. That's what well, you pay more fees for the E series, but at least they give you some cool, uh, like a, a cool feature like that. That's awesome. Yes, I Very love nice. it. That's, so, what made you uh, decide to do E series as opposed to just ETFs? Because it, since the ETFs are cheaper, mainly because of the dollar cost averaging. I mean, I guess I've heard of some ETFs. You might be more knowledgeable than me, but um, I heard every time that you buy ETFs, you have to pay some sort of like and it's not really that great for dollar cost averaging. It's more better for putting like lump sums uh. in. So that's the main reason that um, I did the like E-series because I want to put in like a recurring amount like, you know, every week or every two weeks. So um, right. from a fee standpoint, um, I thought that that made sense. But mm -hmm. then I've heard like some ETFs, you might be able to get around paying the commission or Correct. the fee but I haven't really looked into that a lot. So, um, gotcha. you know, it might make sense for me, but I'm pretty happy with the E-Series so far. So, you know, I'm not ready to move my money or anything like that. Sounds good. Yeah, like, so to, to answer that question, basically, yeah, as right now, um, there's two providers that I know of that allow you to buy ETFs for free, basically at the, at the time of this recording. Uh, so the first one is Quest Trade, and then the second one is Virtual Brokers. Uh, I think Virtual Brokers still still does it. Uh, I know I had trouble finding it on their set at one point, so I don't know if they removed it or if they put it back. Uh, I know Quest Trade has been doing it pretty uh, kind of consistently. So that's kind of why I, uh, like I personally, I, I used Quest Trade for that reason, because you're able to buy the ETFs for free. And so you are able to do the dollar cost uh, average Averaging where you know you can say okay every month I'm gonna put in X thousand dollars um, and and you you know you don't have to wait to have like fifty thousand saved up because you don't want to pay the you know but you don't want to pay big transaction fees and I guess yeah maybe I'll, I'll clarify a bit for some of the listeners that are kind of new to all this so uh, yeah like generally when you go buy like let's say an ETF or a stock you'll have to pay uh, kind of a fee basically for it to do it and it's usually around ten dollars uh, to do it uh, and so that's kind of pretty I mean it varies a bit from place to place but ten is kind of like I would say the average um, and so what like for example Quest Trade does is yeah they'll you're able to, you still have to pay it when you sell you still have to pay like the 10 bucks or whatever it is when you sell it but if you're investing long term you're, you're realistically doing very very little if if any selling uh so you're just basically you know um you just you just buy. It doesn't cost you anything. They do charge like a little side kind of fee, but it's nothing. Like it's it's generally like under a dollar. Like it's 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 negligible. Um, and then the fees, the the MER, so the actual fees, because you're buying ETFs are are lower. Um, because E series, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Sean, but E series is technically a mutual fund still, right? Um, I believe so. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm 
I don't know all the details about them, but I believe yeah. it's like it's basically an index fund. Right, right, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah. If you ever need help on that, let me know. But I've been like that because that was kind of my big concern because I don't want to pay ten bucks every because I'm like I buy four four ETFs every month, mm -hmm. so it's like oh, so that's forty bucks every month. I don't want to spend forty bucks every month just on mm -hmm. transaction costs. And then when I found out that they do it for free, like that was a no brainer for me. So, um, anyways, yeah. Let me know if you ever. I guess and listeners too, if you have any questions about it, let me know. Uh, and as a shameless plug, <laughs> I know Quest Trade. They do like I personally use them, and they do have this thing like a refer a friend program where if you like I basically have this link with them that if you get them through my if you sign up to them using my link then basically they give you free money and I get some too so I think I get like 25 bucks like it's nothing big but it's it's something and then you get I think it's at least 25 and more the more you invest like the more you deposit the more you get um, so it's basically free money so if you uh, if you do want to do that um, reach out to me. Um, I, I think I have their affiliate link like all over my site too. But um, yeah, sh like I said, shameless plug, but it's free money. So that way you can have some, I'll have some and everyone's happy. Um, but anyways, <laughs> enough with the, enough with <laughs> promoting Quest, right? But anyways, that's why I went with them, right? Was the free ETFs because that's a big one. Um, but anyways, that's, uh, I just had to mention that because uh, I would feel silly just saying, yes, there are two mysterious discount brokerages but i'm not gonna say who they are <laughs> so you yeah, know um anyways so that's um okay no that's interesting yeah so you're basically doing uh, basically broad market index investing but you're doing it through tde series uh mutual funds essentially exactly yeah and uh and, and i mean not to discredit tde series because i mean i know uh, like I know my parents bank with them and they, and they have some really convenient stuff there. Like I know if you sign up with like, there's all these cool kind of things and all like these automations like you just told me, right? Where they'll automatically split your money up and all this kind of stuff. So it is pretty cool. Um, like me personally, I'm just like, that's awesome, but I don't want to pay the higher fees. So I'll rather just do it myself and like not have that convenience, but save a ton, like a bunch of money. Right. Um, but it's kind of like, uh, you know, to each his own, I'm happy they're at least, uh, offering some sort of value and convenience, right? With with making mm -hmm. it easier to buy. Um, anyways, that's enough uh, That's enough of me talking. <laughs> so uh, so that's that. Um, now, are you, have you ever considered, since you own your house now free and clear, have you ever cons uh, considered doing something like a home equity line of credit, so HELOC on your property, basically take, take the, some equity out of your property and then use that to invest either in another rental property or in the stock market or anything like that? Well, I've certainly been approached by that. I mean, people saw my story on the news, and I've been approached by a few financial advisors with different, uh, you know, opportunities where I could take out some of the equity and invest it. But you know, while like while leverages can magnify your gains, it can also magnify your losses. Right. And I'm already financially. I've already achieved financial independence, so why would I risk it all in order to make more money when I'm already comfortable the way I am? So, I mean, for some people who, you know, are comfortable taking on that extra risk, um, leveraging might make sense. But for me personally, um, I have enough money to be happy for the rest of my life, so yeah. I just don't feel like taking on that extra extra risk personally yeah no i i totally i totally get it i've been struggling with that a lot lately because i i want to because that kind of in the same boat right I, I want to leverage i would like to just take the money because you know if you're like let's say you're paying you know just let's say three percent right on a heloc 
And if you do equities, let's say you're getting, you know, averages out long term to like 8% a year. So you're obviously, you know, long term, if you look at historical averages, you're you're going to be positive. Hopefully, obviously, there's no guarantee or whatever, but, you know, history supports that. But 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 I so from a greed perspective and like, you know, maximization and efficiency, I totally like I get I'm tempted to do it. But at the same time, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where it's like we're financially independent now so why are you taking on this extra level of risk to earn more when you already have enough so from that part it doesn't make sense so i don't know i've been i've been thinking about this for weeks now it's been uh, bugging me <laughs> so it's nice to hear your perspective because <laughs> i've got my hand on the trigger to do it and i'm just like i don't know i don't know if i should do it uh like like mathematically it makes sense but it's also like at what point is it just like unnecessary risk right because if you've already reached your goal why why do it so I don't know. I don't know. I may have to pick your brain about that some more. It's it's been. Uh, I can't. I can't yeah, stop like, thinking about it. <laughs> you know, when is enough enough? Like I heard exactly. about Elon. Elon Musk. He's part of the PayPal mafia, as they call it, and he basically risked all his millions of dollars that he made from right. PayPal to invest it in Tesla, and he could have gone completely broke. So yeah. I don't think I have the same risk tolerance as him, <laughs> and it's kind of an yeah. individual situation and decision, but, you know, yeah. um, I sleep a, a lot better at night, you know, not having an owner's mortgage over my head, so I'm certainly not going to go and risk everything just to make a bit of extra money when I have more than enough. It just doesn't right. make any sense. Right, right, for sure. E- Elon's a, is a yeah, prime example of uh, extremely high risk tolerance. <laughs> the, take the PayPal money and shoot it into space, and hopefully it works you know, works all kind of day, right? It's pretty, uh, it's fascinating, but, uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know what you mean. My risk tolerance isn't as high as his, uh, isn't as high as his either. <laughs> Nowhere near it. So are you thinking of buying now that you kind of have this experience of being a landlord, you have this experience with real estate, you have this experience with, uh, you know, mortgage financing, all that fun stuff. Are you thinking of buying rental properties or are you kind of done with that for now, especially considering how expensive everything is now? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like, a bit on the fence about that. Um, so the, the two reasons I've decided against it is because I think the real estate market is definitely overvalued, mm-hmm. like price appreciation of over 30%, like that's yep. crazy as far as I'm concerned and not sustainable. And I think the, like the government's been tinkering a lot with the market and I right. honestly don't know what they're going to do in the future. They're the kind of the wild card out there. Um, so, and also like, um, um, I already have something like over 90% of my net worth tied up in real estate. Do I really want to buy another house in the same city or even the same neighborhood and have even more of my net worth tied up in real estate? I don't think so. So that's why I'm basically taking that cash flow and putting it um, towards like my tax-free savings account and my RSP. And Mm -hmm. when I kind of do the math on a rental property, um, you know, you take on all that extra risk and you might only make an extra hundred or two hundred dollars in in profit, or you might actually be cash flow like negative, or, you know, you might just be breaking even. And a lot of people like homeowners, I find that they don't like, you know, they say, oh, my house has gone up, I guess, you know, 33% year over year because that's what Toronto home prices have gone up. But the thing is, they forget about all the other expenses of home ownership, right. such as the big one, like repairs and maintenance. Like, you know, you may be earning $100 a month on this rental property, but what if what, what about when you need to replace the roof and the windows and the furnace? Right. Like, that's going to cost you a 
ton of money. And also, you know, you can't just assume that you're going to have dream tenants forever. What if you get tenants that destroy your property or that, um, you know, don't pay the rent at all. So, I mean, um, that's why I'm really not a fan of buying a rental property. I mean, there are the Scott McGilvray's of the world that have over 100 rental properties, and you can certainly use different strategies by, like, hiring property managers. But, you know, I just prefer having my um, the rest of my money in something more liquid like investments because sure. with a house, you know, you have to go through a real estate agent and there's all those closing costs and all that. And it's not like you can just sell. It's not like a mutual fund where you can just sell tomorrow and get your money. You know, you, exactly. it takes like, you know, 30, 60, 90 days to close the property. So, um, I, you know, and, and like I said, I have enough money in real estate as it is. So that's kind of why I haven't invested in real estate right now. I mean, um, I might like, you know, keep my house. Like if I were to get married one day, I might have like my house as an investment property and then perhaps buy a house with my new spouse. That might be an option, but right. you know, that will kind of cross that bridge when it happens. Um, mm-hmm. I'm perfectly content just having one property for now. For sure. No, that, that makes total sense. Uh, yeah. We're kind of in the same boat. I know we, we sold off one of our houses recently and it was kind of for that that was one of the big reasons was I'm like, wait a minute, this real estate is way too big of a portion of my portfolio. It's like the opposite of diversification, right? <laughs> so so I know exactly what you mean. I'm like, this is, and I mean, there's people that make a lot of money with it, right? Like we have a kind of real estate agent friend who, you know, owns like a, a bunch of properties kind of in the Kitchener-Waterloo area and, you know, and it, it's going well for him and he's making lots of money, I'm sure, and all that fun stuff. Uh, but I mean, like, like you said, it's, it's, it's extremely non-diversified. Uh, so there is obviously inherent risk uh, with that, right? And uh, so no, I, I know what you mean. We kind of did the same thing. We're like, all right, let's sell this the one house and and um, and just you know take the proceeds and actually invest them in the markets. Uh, like I mean, like you know, like in equities and all. So um, so yeah, no, I totally I totally get what you're saying. And, and we we literally kind of had the same thing. And yeah, I don't. I, and to be honest, I don't know how you can get the math to work. Like if you're if you want to be a landlord and you want to just buy like a you want to you know start at kind of the ground floor and just start with something small like a single family house. I, I don't see how you could poss- how the math could possibly work. And, and I've done the math and it didn't work several years ago. And now it like it's nowhere near, I, I don't even bother doing the math on it because I know there's no way in, in hell <laughs> it's gonna work now, especially you know when you consider how, because the house prices, house, real estate prices have clearly exceeded the increase in rental income. So how can you make the math work? I have no idea. I mean, um, a lot of people, like, in terms of the rental property, all that they can afford is a condo. And then the wild card with condos are the condo fees as well as the special assessments. Like, you know, the condo fees certainly go up a lot more than the rate of inflation. I mean, I've seen people's condo fees go up, like, 10% or more. And, you know, you don't know, like, um, what kind of special assessments are going to come up in the future if there's some major repair that they don't anticipate, such as, you know, it costing more money to repair the roof or the repaving of the like um, underground parking garage. So I'm just not a big fan of condos for that reason. Like, you know, you could have a property that's cash flow positive and then suddenly overnight it becomes cash flow negative oh, exactly. because, because they up the condo fees and, um, you know, uh, like I, I mean, I just uh, I guess the only way that people could justify owning a rental property is because of the like um, because of leveraging because you know you put in a small amount of money let's say like a ten or twenty percent like let's say twenty percent down payment and then 
I guess you're banking on the fact that the property will go up in value in the future Correct. and you're kind of holding on to it for many years. But um, to be honest, there's no guarantee that real estate is going to go up at this fast pace in the future. Um, and, you know, having all that money tied up in real estate and hoping that it goes up at a fast pace in the future, like we're currently experiencing, I think is pretty risky. So, you know, that's why I'm kind of have like, that's why I want my money in like, regular investments and something liquid because they just sure. don't think it's good to have all that money tied up in real estate for sure no i i, I totally agree and i and i guess I should cl- clarify I, I guess for yourself and for the for the listeners as well you know when i say i you know i i don't see how the math could work i'm talking about purely from a cash flow perspective so if we take your monthly rental income that you're receiving and we subtract things like you know your mortgage principal your interest basically your mortgage payments um you know your property taxes you know utilities condo fees uh repairs basically every single expense that you would incur by owning that property at the you know as a best practice you should be net you should be net positive at the end of the month right so if you're bringing in 1600 after you take away all those expenses you should still be in the positive you should not be in the red so that's what i mean but when i say you know get the, the i can't see how the math could possibly work because uh, like what Sean's saying right there's these condo fees which are kind of this unknown variable you know because you never know how much they're going to go up you never you know and, and you hear these things too like we had friends where they had a condo and they're paying their condo fees and i guess the condo a company mismanaged the money in some way where they had they didn't have enough in there um, and or you know for whatever reason and they there was this big, really critical repair that had to get done and there wasn't enough in their you know fund in their account or whatever to cover the cost so not only are they, so they were forced to pay like the the ten like the owners of the you know condo complex were forced to pay extra money like thousands and thousands of dollars each in addition to their condo fees just to fix this one thing because the condo company didn't you know kind of manage things accordingly you know maybe they were undercharging their condo fees whatever the case may be but i mean you've got these like like to me that's a wild card right you have no clue mm. what's gonna happen and 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 yeah so i don't know how you can be I, like with a single family home i can't see how you could possibly be cash flow positive in areas like toronto even though i haven't done the math on the toronto real estate but it's i from what i hear it's worse than like it's more crazy there than it is in kitchener and i know in kitchener I, you know the math like what to do like the math just doesn't work it's like you have to either go into student housing or you get like you basically have to go into multi-unit and it's like if you're growing into multi-unit well now you're not spending you know, four hundred thousand on a rental property. You know, we're talking like seven-figure investment. So now you've literally got you know probably all your eggs in one basket, unless you're like you know multi-multi multi-millionaire, right? So, uh, anyways, I could go on about this for a while, but it's <laughs> it's it's uh yeah. So no, I just wanted I I, I totally uh, the summary is I agree with what you're saying, and I totally understand why you're not getting into the rental game further. <laughs> That's my summary. <laughs> Anyways, I'll stop my rant. Um, all right, so we talked about the rental property. So yeah, so Sean, tell me what's what's next for you. You kind of already talked about it a bit, but what's kind of your uh, like? What are the next steps? You've got the book. Um, what's what's going on with you in the next? I don't know near future. Well, I'm uh, you know working on getting my work schedule to a more manageable level. Like I was working sometimes like 80, 90, even 100 hours a week. So I've managed to get it down to about 60 to 80 hours a week. So, you know, it's (laughs) kind of baby steps. Maybe I'll get down to 50 hours a week one day, but uh, I don't really know, you know, (laughs) if that's ever going to happen, to be honest. Um, But I'm trying to kind of achieve a better work-life balance as well. So I'm planning to 
travel more. I've already like gone on a few trips to like different places. Like I went to FinCon in San Diego nice. last year, and um, also, awesome. yeah, FinCon was a, a lot of fun. Um, as well as I've been to Ottawa um, recently, and you know I'm planning to visit like different places in Canada, like Montreal. Um, also wanted to visit Vancouver and. San Francisco and Europe, so you know I only have so much vacation time at work. So right. um, you know, but I have you know enough money to do all these things. Like I could go on six trips a year if I wanted to, right. but fortunately with work and all the other stuff, I'm not able to. But you know, um, it's great having that. I guess those choices once you're financially free, being able to do all that stuff. And um, my next goal is a net worth of a million dollars. And um, I wanted to achieve that by age 35. But I just had my sister like do um, a market like um, comparison of, of like all the different properties to figure out how much my house is worth. And I think I've already hit the million dollars nice. because of like, Congrats. you know, uh, how high housing prices have gone up in Toronto. I didn't think like I Definitely didn't think housing prices will go up thirty three percent year <laughs> yeah. over year. Um, yeah, no, nobody's kind of, model uh, was was had that in there, had that number in there. Thirty <laughs> yeah, so percent. Yeah. I mean, I think I've already hit the million dollars. I mean, there could be a correction or something, but right. you know, um, I, I definitely want to. My next goal is to kind of diversify better, and um, I'm also offering money coaching for people who would like to follow in my footsteps and burn their mortgage. So um, that's certainly an option as well. And, you know, awesome. the, the book definitely provides great information, but if you're looking for something that's tailored to your own financial situation, I can certainly help you out with that. So feel free to reach out to me. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of in relation to that, uh, and just kind of to finish things off, you know, tell us more about your book, tell us more about your money coaching uh, in terms of the book, you know, what can readers expect to learn from it? I've already started reading it. It's really enjoyable. I, I especially like the, you have a, t a bunch of kind of money, uh, money hacks, money saving hacks, which was pretty cool. Uh, and I really liked how you focus. You kind of do the whole 80, 20 thing, right? Where you're not, you it's, you're like, well, focus on your mortgage, you know, don't, don't just focus on these little things. I mean, yeah, focus on little things too, but don't forget that there's these bigger fish that you really have to put this extra focus on. So I don't know, I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far, liking your book. Um, but yeah, tell us more about kind of what readers can expect to learn from it. Um, and, and yeah, and I guess the money co uh, coaching thing as well. Uh, tell us a bit more about that too. Yes. So with the title, like Burn Your Mortgage, um, some people assume, oh, it's just a book about mortgages at home buying, but it's about so much more than that. In the first part of the book, I actually go over um, setting yourself up for financial freedom, because if you have a boatload of credit card debt and you're living paycheck to paycheck, then you're certainly not in the financial position to burn your mortgage, let alone save a down payment. So I kind of go through basic financial stuff that people have seemed to have forgotten about over the years because with today's increasingly cashless society, it's so easy to spend more than you make and get into debt. So I kind of go over some of that. And a big thing that I start the book off with is goal setting because a lot of people, you know, um, don't actually set themselves financial goals. Like goal setting is so useful, whether it's a goal of saving a down payment, you know, I want to save a down, like $50,000 down payment in three years time, rather than saying, you know, I want to buy a house one day, like one day is probably never going to arrive. So I find it's really useful to set yourself smart goals, which I go through, through in, in the book. Um, and so basically, once you've already come up with your down payment, that's when I really get into the meat and potatoes of the book and uh, go over 
over like some ways that you can actually uh, burn your mortgage sooner. So um, I talk about, um, for example, switching your payment to accelerated, your mortgage payment to accelerated weekly or biweekly, um, as well as using um, found, what I like to call found money, such as your tax refund or your workplace bonus and putting that towards some of it or all of it towards your mortgage and uh, go through examples of how much money that can actually save you. And another big tip that I offer in the book is um, you don't, um, it's not just a good idea to shop around for your mortgage when you're looking for a mortgage initially. When you get those mortgage renewal papers um, from your lender, you should definitely take the time to shop around then as well because um, your lender's probably not offering you their very best rate when they send you those renewal papers. So definitely um, take the time to shop around. I would recommend shopping around uh, at least six months in advance of when your mortgage comes up for renewal because your mortgage for most people is the single biggest debt of your lifetime. So even saving yourself like um, 0.1% or 0.2% can save yourself thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. And um, I certainly think it's worth spending, you know, a couple hours on a rainy Sunday afternoon um, searching around for mortgage rates. And it's so easy these days with uh, mortgage brokers or mortgage websites, mortgage rate comparison websites like um, like Rate Supermarket or Rate Hub or Lowest Rates. It's so easy to use sure. them. So there's really no excuse out there. And um, yeah, I mean, the book is... Basically, what I like to call it is kind of like um, a financial um, like guidebook. I mean, you might not necessarily um, be experiencing all these things. Like, you may, you may not necessarily be ready to buy a house, or you may not be ready to um, shop for home insurance or hire a contractor. But, you know, once you are ready to make those decisions, you can kind of flip through the section of my book and... Um, like I, I've said to many people, this book literally pays for itself because for 20 bucks, I mean, um, with all the tips in here, I'm sure you'll learn at least a few things and easily save yourself hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So I definitely think it's money well spent. I mean, Harry Potter is definitely an interesting read, but I'm not sure how it <laughs> helps you save money. But I can definitely say that my book will certainly help you save money. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, for sure, I'd like to... I mean, I, I totally agree with uh, when I first started reading your book, I thought, well, I don't know how engaged I'll get. I don't know how interesting I'll get, interested I'll get in this because, I mean, uh, you know, we already have a mortgage paid off. We already own, you know, the house and everything. So it's it's it doesn't see, didn't seem that relevant. But when I started reading it, I thought I actually got really into it because you do offer all, kind of all these different money-saving hacks. So whether you're a renter or a homeowner or want to be a homeowner, like it really doesn't matter, or retired. I mean, it doesn't really matter. These These kind of at the very least, like you're going to save money from for, from these money saving hacks that you kind of uh, all, basically all these things that you've done yourself, I assume, right? Just to to, to to trim these expenses so that you could pay off your mortgage quicker. So, I mean, you use it to pay off your mortgage quicker. Others could use it to take an extra vacation a year or to save more for the retirement, you know, or to retire early, you know, whatever, whatever your goals are. Uh, I, I was very uh, pleasantly surprised how well Sean wrote the book so that you could benefit from it even if you aren't purely, you know, interested in just the real estate portion of it. So uh, I thought that's worth mentioning. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so Sean, where, um, you know, where can people find more about you? You know, where can they get the book? Where can they learn more about your money coaching services? Uh, you know, give us, give us the kind of w- w- where we can reach out to you. 
for sure. So um, you can find my book um, at Amazon as well as you can find it at major bookstores such as Chapters and Indigo stores all across Canada and you can purchase it online as well. And um, if you wanted to reach out to me, you can visit my website, seancooperwriter.com. That's all one word and Sean is spelled S-E-A-N. Um, and um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Sean Cooper Write, and you know I'd love to hear from you if you pick up my book. I'm hoping to kind of uh, start a bit of uh, I guess mortgage burning revolution and have other people follow in my footsteps. I don't want to be the only person to burn their mortgage. I'm hoping to get other people excited about actually paying down debt rather than you know piling on more debt. Because to be honest, whenever I see that statistic about the average household debt going up every um, quarter, like I last time I checked, yeah. I think it was $1.67. I mean, um, you know, it, it definitely depresses me. So I want to hopefully see that number start to tick down because I definitely don't think it's a good idea for Canadians to have so much debt because interest rates may be low now, but, you know, I don't think they're going to be low forever. I mean, to say that they're going to be low for the next 25 years or however long it takes you to pay off your mortgage, I think is a dangerous assumption to make along with people assuming that home prices will go up forever. So, you know, definitely, you know, check out my book and it will give you some food for thought and maybe you'll reconsider your decision of, uh, you know, paying off your mortgage in 25 years. I mean, you don't have to pay it off in three years like me, but if you can maybe pay it off in 10, 15, or even 20 years, you can enjoy financial freedom that much sooner as well as save yourself tens of thousands of dollars in interest. And I think that's definitely pretty good. Awesome. Well, that's great, Sean. So thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, obviously, you know, I'm going to have all the links and, uh, you know, to, uh, to your site, to your, you know, to your money coaching, to your book, all of that on the show notes as well. Uh, and, and yeah, thanks for coming on. It's, it's been a great chat. Uh, and, uh, yeah, have a, have a good one. Okay. Thanks very much, Cornell. All right. Take care. Bye. All right, don't forget to enter the giveaway for free for a chance to win a signed copy of Sean's book. You can go to the show notes at buildwealthcanada.ca slash 34. So just the number 34. And there you will find the link where you can enter the giveaway for free. And last but not least, remember to go grab your free audiobook download over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. Just go to that link, sign up for the free Audible trial, and you'll be able to get that book you always wanted for free from their library of over 180,000 titles. So once again, that link is buildwealthcanada.ca slash audiobook. All right, enjoy your free book. Have a great week. Good luck on the giveaway and talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 